This is McShane Bible Study, day 120. Weston just got me on a financial rant about gold and silver, but we missed that recording. I had a few things stand out to me. Uh, one is, I think when we were naming you, we didn't get creative enough or biblical enough. And so we've decided no. we're, <laughs> we're going to start calling Weston uh. Petazur. <laughs> okay, maybe not. I'll, I'm getting beat up for that one. Okay, so, um, yeah, to, to go over, you said they, they like plates and basins. So, I'm assuming, it's not said here, that they all got together and figured out that the tent of meeting needed plates and basins for the priest and or the Levites. It doesn't tell us that. But each of the 12 tribes gets, gives very valuable gold and silver plates and basins and stuff like that. They all give the exact same thing. So it obviously wasn't a random offering, right? They're, they've, I think it must have been decided that it was needed. And so each tribe came up with this thing and they had it, you know, they had to take the gold and silver that they had and, and use a, a craftsman to make these things. And so they all got that along with the animals. And so they're all dedicating the tabernacle. So we, we saw a different version of the dedication of the tabernacle. This is Numbers' version of it. And um, also we see the roles in the beginning that um, uh, they're also given uh, oxen and wagons for different parts of the tribe of Levi. Or Are these all priests or are they just random Levites? Chiefs of Israel has chiefs. Um, Levites, just as Levites. So, um, they're, they're given these because they, they have to do important service. And so they're given wagons to carry because every time the Lord's presence moves, they have to move with it. And so they, they're given, uh, oxen and wagons to help carry this stuff. But, verse 9, but to the sons of Kohath he gave none, because they were charged with the service of the holy things that had to be carried on the shoulder. So they had to carry the most holy things on the shoulder. Remember when David's, uh, one of David's mighty men um, thought he w they were carrying, David put it on the wagon, he was in charge. They put the uh, Ark of the Covenant, which they hadn't had in a long time, on a wagon with oxen. And then one, I can't remember his name, but it was about to fall over because the wagon was unsteady and he touched it and the Lord struck him dead because he, he should not be touching a holy thing. And David was upset, but then he realized he probably went back and looked at the law and said, we're not supposed to be carrying the Holy of Holies on a wagon with oxen. It's supposed to be carried by the Levites, you know, I, I, and I don't remember specifically priests, um, it looks like sons of Kohath. Um, and, and so God set up that these things are so precious and so holy that they only need to be carried by the people that are most set apart and holy unto the Lord. He trusts those who give themselves fully to him for his most precious thing. That all the people of Israel, all the tribes, gave their most precious things, their gold and silver, right? Which represented like their livelihood. To us, it's it's more than just gold and silver that we give. It's our lives, right? 
Um, but some people are say, well, I'll just, you know, I'll give my tithe and, and you know, kind of stay here on the outskirts of God's people. Some people give everything. So the Kohaths, you know, they, they gave more. And God said, okay, you're responsible for carrying my holy things wherever we go. And, and then uh, all the boring stuff. Yeah, and there's lots. It just repeats the same paragraph over and over again for all 12 tribes. And then I love the last verse. And when Moses went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he heard the voice speaking to him from above the mercy from above the mercy seat that was on the ark of the testimony from between the two cherubim, and it spoke to him. So now God had previously spoken to Moses on the mountaintop. Now he's speaking to him inside this tent. It's mm-hmm. really powerful, really cool imagery, right? So this is the beginning of the Holy of Holies. Um, and, and so we know at going forward that, you know, the high priest could only go in the Holy of Holies one day a year and no one else could, right? And Jesus mm-hmm. removed the veil so it becomes possible for each one of us as we give ourselves fully to him, as we're raised up in him to enter his presence, the Holy of Holies, his throne room, all pictures of the same thing. Next, we're looking at Psalm 42, and a couple things stood to me, kind of towards the end, this kind of reminds me of, of uh, Jesus on the cross, 9, I say, to, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? It's pretty similar, and I think David has a, a one that's more accurate, but it's pretty similar to that and to the situation Jesus was going through on, a, on the cross, right? Sometimes we all feel like that, right? Like, wh- where's God? Where is my, you know, where, it seems like everything's going wrong for me, and wh- what is the point of all this? Where's God in all this, right? God sometimes brings us through those things so that we deepen our trust and faith in him, that we deepen our patience and endurance, right? Um, and then, so that the next time we, we are, you know, we're stronger, we can last longer. We're not so swayed by, you know, waves of things that the world or the enemy throws at us because he has strengthened us through those those difficult times, right? And then uh, this one, all, this psalm always stands out to me because uh, Mr. Kirk, who you haven't met, he actually lives in Prosper where we got the dog. I, I wanted to stop and see him, but it was such a long drive. I didn't think I had time. But in my, my adult baptism, he came and he gave... Uh, this, uh, he read this over me or spoke it over me as it, and I don't remember how far he went. But I just remember the first verse as a deer pants for flowing streams. So pants my soul for you. O God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And then shall I come and appear before God. Pretty powerful, huh? Mm-hmm. We also have Psalm 43 and a couple things stood out to me. Just it, just a beautiful psalm of both praying to God and also praying to our soul. You know, our so we have a body, we have a soul, we have a spirit. And the way that Satan has turned over the world is that our body then influences and controls our soul 
which is overpowered our spirit. We were designed for it to be opposite. Our, our spirit is supposed to mingle with the spirit of God, which then trains our soul, which then trains our body. And so Christ makes it, uh, makes it available to us to come back to that. But we have to re, re, rewire our whole system, right? And so I like, for, first of all, verse 3 says, Sound out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. So first and foremost, he's praying to God that God lead him with his light and his truth. So that's powerful. Take me up your holy Mount Zion, right? But then he says, why are you cast down on my soul? You know, sometimes when you, you, your soul, you just feel like, oh, I don't want, why do I have to do this? Why, why is this not going the way I want it? And here he's saying, why are you cast down? And why are you in turmoil within me? In other words, stop it, soul, hoping God, for I shall again praise him. He says, I am, I am going to be led by my spirit, not by my body or what my body wants to do. Hoping God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. See how he's reorienting himself oh. to an eternal life, not a, not a physical life or a life bound by the physical and next we're in Song of Solomon 5, and um, it, it, it's just cool how, if we, if we do look at it, as you just said, as the church being the bride, how hungry she is for Christ, right? She says, uh, he is everything. Help me to find him. And we see there's other women that, that aren't a part of that, right? That's, that's important, too. And they're like, they don't understand. Hey, he's just another guy. I want to just get another guy. What does it matter? He said, no, there was no one as wonderful as my bridegroom. Right? That's the Christ. And we are wrapping up in Hebrews chapter 5. And it starts talking about what is a high priest. You know, and they're looking back to the order that God had given to Moses. And he's saying, verse 4, And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So he's saying, when you come up to a high office, you don't just decide you're going to be that. You're, you're not just ambitious. And all of a sudden, you have all the authority of God. And he goes on to say, not even Christ didn't even exalt himself. He was made high priest by the Lord. It's the same with anyone that rises up as a priest in the Lord. It's not because we memorize the Bible. It's not because we do a lot of good deeds. It's not because we're really nice or in a, any take on any other characteristic of the Lord. It's first and foremost, well, we're going to read. Let's read an eight. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So, it's interesting here. So, what is perfect? Because a lot of people say, oh, I'm not perfect, or I'll never be perfect. Well, how is perfect defined here by Hebrews? It's defined as obedience. Even through whatever suffering might come, perfect obedience to God. Well, we can grow, and I'm not saying I'm there yet, I'm not. But certainly it is possible to grow in perfect obedience, right? To where we so die to the world mm-hmm. that in anything God tells us, 
to do, we always do it, right? I believe um, that God, as he, God raises up many mature sons to represent him in the last days, there are going to be many that walk in perfect obedience to the Lord. I pray that we are those, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, I think the scripture points clearly to this. I mean, we just talked about the other day. The point is for God to raise up many sons after the way Jesus has made it possible for us to walk in his ways. And he was the pattern life of the way in which we're supposed to walk. Mm-hmm. So he has made this possible. He's shown us the way. But God is the only one that can lift us up into these things. So we have to seek him. We have to want it. We have to believe in it. And in, in, in doing these things, God can lift us up and he can make us so. And then we see here again, introduced the order of Melchizedek. Jesus, there's a new priesthood. We just read about the Levites and the sons of Aaron as the priest. Well, God says, I have a better way. So you're not just a priest because you're born into that family. And even if you don't really love me, you're still this way. You can come from any family in the world. And if you love me and you give your life to me, I will raise you up to a priest, to be a priest in the order of Melchizedek, to be a mature son in my house that represents me to all the world, right? Jesus has destroyed the veil. So we are all able to come into this life. And that's God's whole point for us. So if that's what will make us happiest, most fulfilled, most full of joy and peace, give us all power and authority because we've given everything to him. Shouldn't we want that? Right. I I think anyone who understands this would say, why would I want anything else in this world when I can have that perfect unity with God? Now the process means in order to give us all that blessing, he has to strip away everything of the world that's still in us, everything of the enemy that's still in us. Subdue my soul, soul, worship the Lord, not the ways of this world, right? And and then I believe Paul wrote Hebrews, he says, 11, about this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. He says, I still have to give you milk and so solve food because you've stuck around in the elementary teachings and you haven't even mastered those. And so these are deeper things. And so... Um, the, the Bible is wonderful because on one hand, it points very clearly to these deep truths. On the other hand, it leaves it for the spirit to teach us and guide us and grow us into the deeper truths that are beyond the imaginations of most. So it's just a, a wonderful reality, a wonderful kingdom that he's inviting us into. And that's all I have for today. Do you have anything else? No. God bless you. God bless you.